right everybody welcome back to 80s high the podcast that gets together in a mansion locks itself inside and revisits all of our favorite movies music television shows books toys and so much more i'm your host chris and i'm colonel benjamin with the microphone in the recording studio oh who done it you done it this is 80s high everybody this will all be edited, but that was the roughest start to any podcast. We're like 60 episodes deep at this point, <laughs> something like that. And oh man, there was a disaster that was left on the cutting room floor. But thanks for joining us. That's the miracle of editing. It's going to sound great. By the time we get to the end of this episode, that intro is not going to be the only corpse on the floor. Oh, there's been another murder. Another murder? What do you mean, murder? Oh, man. Okay, we're already starting with the yes. quotes. Um, let's get our third voice into the fray here. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, uh, you'll recognize our classmate. He's been Coach Aaron. He's been Collector Aaron. And today he's movie buff aficionado Aaron. <laughs> Gumshoe Aaron. Uh, Aaron, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me again. He's contractually obligated to come once a season to uh, join us for a discussion. And Aaron, I have to tell you, there's no better topic for you to be joining us for than Clue. This is something I've had in the works basically since we started the podcast. It was a foregone conclusion. We're doing this freaking movie because I love it so much. And of course, you'll learn why, everybody, probably in the most obnoxious way possible, why Aaron is <laughs> on for this one. <laughs> Because, Aaron, would you say we quote this movie to each other every single time we hang out? Yes, I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, and it's not just sure. one and done. No, no. <laughs> it's it's multiple throughout quotes. the entire span of your visit. Is it because every, every time oh you guys hang out, you find yourselves in a group murder situation? Or you just reminisce <laughs> about this movie? What, what happens? I mean, we probably definitely aren't murderers. <laughs> I mean, there's there's really no evidence to suggest. I mean, we're free. We're walking free. There's no conviction. So you tell us. That's true. There's probably not been murders. You picked the ending where you locked the basement and you both walked out one at a time and there's no evidence. Perfect. Good. Great. For we are jolly good fellows. <laughs> we may or may not have stacked the bodies in the cellar one by may one. May or may not have. <laughs> yes, perfect. Oh my God. This is going to be fun. Oh, man. So we don't really have anything, I think, for homeroom. We just recorded last episode, Ben and I, last night. So we blasted through all of our material, and we haven't had enough time to accumulate more exciting right. uh, tidbits of knowledge in, in 80s whatnots to share. Aaron, do you have anything yeah, for us did to you contribute, any cool perhaps? 80s anything? properties, yeah. city experiences? No, not recently, other than outside of looking into Clue stuff. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. That's been a nice deep dive. Uh, and, and a lot of stuff I learned about this movie that I, I did not know previously, despite loving it so much. That's one of the fun things about this podcast is you get to appreciate the things you love on a completely different level. So, I mean, with that in mind, let's just go ahead and get started, gentlemen. 
And you know, someone's got to break the ice on this episode, and it might as well be me. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm determined to enjoy myself. And oh, isn't this hallway to history class just lovely? <laughs> <laughs> That's my Mrs. Peacock. No, that was pretty. That was okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I got it. <laughs> All right, well, let's head down the hall to history class to learn where the movie Clue came from. I love it. I tried to run comically. I tried to pull like a Tim Curry on the way here with my elbows real close to my rib cage and just like, like, yes, like running almost. Pr- it's almost a prance, a run down the hallway. I was doing the Tom Cruise run where yeah, he also does chop. the kind there's of like chop that goes the into chopping yes, motion. Perfect. Good. Aaron, how did High you days. run? Really tight. And uncomfortably, like Miss Scarlet. Yes. <laughs> Tightly wound. Are you wearing your corset? <laughs> Are you wearing your corset for the episode? My corset and my high caped cowl. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Best freaking costumes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, as we mentioned, we're talking about the movie Clue. But before we get to the movie Clue, we have to get to the inspiration for the movie, which is, of course, the board mm-hmm. game Clue. Or. More specifically, Cluedo. Ooh. So what is Cluedo? Cluedo is a murder mystery game for three to six players that was devised in 1943 by a British board game designer, Anthony E. Pratt. The game was first manufactured by Waddington's in the UK in 1949. And since then, it's been relaunched and updated several times and currently is owned and published by American Game and Toy Company, Hasbro. So, a little bit about how Pratt came up with this idea, because I thought this was really fascinating. So, he's actually holed up in his home in Birmingham, England. This is during the time of the air raids Mm. on the city Mm. uh, during World War II. And, of course, he's hunkered down, has a lot of time to think. And he starts to get this inspiration for... This game from these murder mystery parlor games he used to play with friends in which he said they would congregate in each other's homes for parties at the weekends. We'd play a stupid game called murder where guests crept up on each other in corridors and the victim would shriek and fall to the floor. This actually sounds like a lot of fun. This is like awesome hide and seek. I do want to throw out there. I know this this feels a little chemistry-ish, but since since this is the origin of all this, I'd never put the two together. Have either of you guys ever been to like a murder mystery party? Like have you been to one of those things? Have you played? No, I've not. No? I wanted to do one so bad. Ben, I think you knew about this. I wanted to do one out in Leavenworth, like rent a house and get a bunch of people and go out and do it. And it was like 2019, and then the pandemic hit, and of course that all went south. But yeah, I haven't actually been to one. Have you? Uh, Yeah, I mean, being a theater kid back in high school and college, like this is what we did. So like this was very common. This was fun. But uh, I think you might have participated. I can't remember or not. I mean, during the uh, during like the first year of the pandemic, we found a group. Oh, it was like duh. a murder mystery theater troupe in New England somewhere who moved virtual to like stay alive, and we did a, we did we did like every single one they offered in the first year through Zoom. You're right. It was a Zoom based one. I totally forgot about that. I did one of those. It was interesting. I think it would be probably more enjoyable in person. Hundred percent. And of course, they have the kind too where you're like at the theater like the dinner theater yes. and like the actors are sitting among you and you kind of get incorporated into it and you know there's like that whole production i have performed at one in one of those at the collegiate level it was about a, it was a oh. struggling mining town and here's the best part i did it it was awesome it was so much fun 
It was Ben with the pickaxe and the mine shaft. It was very dark. <laughs> it was messed up. It was a good time. That Sorry, I threw, I threw you off the rails there, but uh, since since it came up. So, yeah, I mean, he says it's kind of a stupid game. I'm like, Anthony, this sounds like a lot of freaking yeah. fun. And uh, he also was inspired by the, you know, the, the subgenre of cozy English detective fiction in the 20s and 30s, notably, of course, Agatha Christie. Mm. Stories where, you know, it's set in a residence of the of the gentry, isolated by circumstances, like a snowstorm, Ooh. and the suspects are gathered for a weekend house party, and murder is, of course, dumb. The, the traditional locked room murder mystery type setup. Beautiful. So those were some of his inspirations. Well, in 1944, Pratt applies for a patent for the invention of this game, uh, which he initially called Murder. That was the original Kind of on the nose, one might say. I mean, really, I mean, really you know, he's just like, why mess with a good thing? We That's what we call the game. So what's happening? Cut to the chase. Tis murder. Yeah. Let's cut to the chase. Yeah. And so he and his wife, Elva, designed the game, and they present it to Waddington's, which I do have to stop here. There's some speculation that Wadsworth's name in the movie is kind of a oh. nod to Waddington's. I think it makes cool. sense. I like it because yeah. you know, Wadsworth yeah. is not a, a character in the game or any of its incarnations as far as I'm aware of. So, yeah, they present it to Waddington's. They immediately purchase it. They provide its trademark under the name Cluedo. Now, do either of you know why it's called Cluedo? Are you familiar with this? I've heard the name before, but I don't think I know why it was called that originally. Uh, okay. It's because it's a uh, it's originally a Disney concept, and it is Pluto's doppelganger evil murderous brother is what it's based on. Oh, my gosh. Did I nail Nailed it? Nailed it. See? Yes. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a bit of a Disney fan. I know what's going on. I don't know how this The darker down. side of Disney, the where there's a murderous Disney <laughs> after twin. dark. I, I, I think Cluedo's related to Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, great. <laughs> Just one less O. So it's actually a play on the word clue, duh. Duh. Uh, as well. Well, not Cluedo. 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 No, I'm super lost. What's I thought now? you said Cluedo. <laughs> so I good. did. I did. You did or you didn't? <laughs> <laughs> We're never getting through this episode. Okay, so a mix of Clue and Ludo. Ludo is both the Latin word for I play. Oh, yeah, game. Yeah. It's also the name of a popular board game that's based off of Pachisi. And I said, hold on, Pachisi? Isn't there a game Parcheesy? Thank yeah, you. Wait a second. So Parcheesi is actually based off of this Indian game Pachisi. Oh. So Parcheesi is a kind of a successor of it. But there's another game that's pretty popular here in the U.S., Sorry. Sorry is also Ooh. based off of Pachisi. I didn't know that. Really? Okay. Yeah. Super wow, cool. this is like a, a grandpapa of board games. Yes. I had no idea. There's, and there's actually others as well. Cool. So it's simultaneously licensed by Parker Brothers in the U.S., and here it's named Clue, mostly because Ludo is not widely known here, so people wouldn't get the reference like they would in the UK and other parts of Europe. Now, I won't get too much into his original game. It's a little bit different. I thought there were some fun tweaks. So it, there's 10 characters, and at the start, one of them is designated as the victim. You randomly draw a card. They had some characters like Mr. Brown, Mr. Gold, Miss Gray, and Mrs. Silver. Those were all taken out of the game. Hmm. They renamed a couple... Uh, Mrs. White was initially Nurse White. Colonel Mustard was Colonel Yellow, but they were renamed by release. Okay. Maybe because you don't call me Yellow. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was more snack-minded. I like it. That's okay. right. And so there were also like 11 rooms. There was a gun room and a cellar, and there were nine weapons. So there was also a bomb, a syringe, like a walking stick or a cudgel. 
a fireplace poker, and later an axe and poison. A bomb feels uh, not subtle in this environment. <laughs> Explosions? <laughs> yeah, like a little... Okay. A lot more collateral damage. Yeah, a can, bit. You, can you put yeah. a silencer on a bomb? I don't really know. Is that possible? Is that a thing? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it is. Silent but deadly. So, I mean, that's just a little bit. There's more about the differences, but we're really not here to talk about the game. I just thought there was some fun origin story to it. And so, you know, few rule changes, but more or less that original game plays out like your modern day clue without too many changes. So that game is obviously a huge success, you know, across multiple countries. And so we find ourselves arriving at the movie Clue. So first off, what is Clue? It's the 1985 American black comedy mystery film based on the board game of the same name. It's directed by Jonathan Lynn. Point of clarification. Uh, can you explain for me, Aaron, and all the listeners in the back, what is the difference between a black comedy and a dark comedy? I don't actually know. Do you know? No. I've never heard black comedy before. I didn't know. I've heard about it that way when there's dark elements to the humor, you know. Laughter over murder, so to speak. <laughs> Dropping bodies in the, the study because you're tired of carrying them so, unceremoniously. So it's, two it's corpses, like, everything's fine. Yeah. yeah. So it's like darker than dark comedy is what we're saying. You've got dark comedy and then it's so dark it's black. It's black comedy. Wikipedia kind of tells me. Yeah, Wikipedia tells me they are synonymous. Okay. So I don't think one is more sinister than the other. It's directed by Jonathan Lynn, who co-wrote the script with John Landis. Now, you might know John Landis's name, American Werewolf in London, Blues Brothers. We also talked about him. Uh, he directed the Thriller music video by one Michael Jackson. He's just a delightful human being. I love any interview with him. He's just giddy about filmmaking. He does have a lot of enthusiasm. You know, he's got some controversy. Yeah. Uh, he's got a little bit as well. But yeah, he, uh, he seems like a very animated guy. He yeah. definitely loves his craft. And then this is also a movie produced by Deborah Hill. Deborah Hill also worked on Halloween and The Dead Zone. Okay, so how does this movie come to be? Well, so let's start with Deborah Hill. She secures the movie rights. She approaches John Landis to direct. And Landis immediately gets the concept. He's like, yeah, based off a board game, it's a classic murder mystery setup, bunch of characters, love it, great. We need to play it as farce. Now, he roughly works out the outline of the plot, the whodunit. But he's like, when it comes to the reveal, like, I, I, I can't make it work. I need a real writer. So he approaches a litany of people before we get to Jonathan Lynn. First, he comes to playwright Tom Stoppard. Uh, Tom Stoppard had actually done a play that's sort of a deconstruction of the notion of a murder mystery. So he's like, well, here's somebody who gets it, right? He's already kind of taken the pieces and pulled them apart. And Stoppard toiled on the script for like a year, and he finally sends Landis a letter saying, I give up, and he returns a check in the amount that he was paid for it. Whoa. Basically, I can't do it. Wow. Here's, here's the money back. Sorry for wasting a year of your time. And his own time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's just, you know, probably supremely bummed out. Uh, but Landis, again, a very uh, enthusiastic guy, he approaches a couple no-names, Stephen Sondheim. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, the famous musical theater genius and Anthony Perkins. That's right. Wait, wait, Norman wait, wait, Bates wait, of Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> so these two guys are approached to write Clue. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Interesting pairing, by the way, these two guys. Um, they're very enthusiastic, very much on board. They wanted uh, too much money. 
So they're uh, a little too a little too expensive to get. Okay. Well, to make a long story short. Too late. <laughs> hey, nicely done. There you go. Landis remembers loving this uh, political satire he saw in London called Yes Minister. He's like, this is a really clever show. It's kind of this mini masterpieces. You know, it's got this great construction. So he approaches the writer of that, who's Jonathan Lynn. And he actually sends Hollywood producer Peter Goober to London to meet with Lynn and just have a, a talk. So Goober had worked on Midnight Express, American Werewolf in London, Flashdance. So this guy goes out there and is really pitching hard for Lynn. And Lynn's kind of confused. And he's like, I don't know if I quite get it. I'm not sure what's going on. And they're like, hey, we will pay for you to fly first class to L.A. and hear from John Landis himself about doing this movie. And he's like, uh, first class pay? twist my arm. He's like, I am statesbound. And much to your point, Ben, Landis is like – really giving this crazy pitch. He's running around the room. He's jumping onto furniture. He's shouting. He's it. basically like reenacting, I imagine, all the curry parts. Yeah, sort of like the curry finale. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm yeah. picturing. Yeah. And even still, Lynn is like, I don't know. He thinks about it a little bit more, but ultimately decides to pen the script. Uh, but he also is struggling with it, much like that original screenwriter, Stoppard, you know, who's just kind of like, yeah. I give up. Despite the struggles, he knew he had a very clear mandate from Landis. It was, you will create four separate endings, each of which posits a different killer or killers, each of which has to make sense with the rest of the movie, and each of which would play in separate theaters, thereby giving audiences a different experience each time they'd seen the film. So Landis is the one who decided, we're doing multiple endings, we're showing different endings in each theater. That's fascinating. I wondered where that all started. I mean, that's one of the biggest hallmarks, what makes this movie famous, or the multiple endings when it came out. So that's where it all begins. Okay. And also what makes it tank. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Both very accurate. Yeah. Because we'll get to that. It's also its demise, despite it being kind of an interesting novel thing. Yeah. Clearly did not you know, work out. And we'll, we'll talk about the box office numbers. Oh, man. So halfway through 1984... Lynn finishes his screenplay and he decides, I'm going to set it in New England in 1954. And he's drawing very heavily from his friendships with screenwriters who had been blacklisted during the McCarthy era. Mm. So that's why he sets it in that time frame because he's like, he's very familiar with it. It's just this very like flashpoint in American history. So we've got this great setting. And of course, you know, that sort of ties into the movie and a lot of the, the plot elements as well even though we know communism is just a red herring. <laughs> um, so everyone loved the script. It met all of Landis's requirements, but he's not able to direct because he's already signed on at this point to do the Cold War comedy Spies Like Us. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Mr. Chevy Chase and Mr. Uh, Dan Aykroyd. So Landis is like, hey, do you want to direct this movie? You know it very well. I'll stay on as executive producer and Lynn's like, I had no aspirations to direct, but like, you kind of don't say no when you're given the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. this is his very first movie, and he's the sort of unintentional director. And Landis does executive produce, but he's off shooting his movie. So he's basically out of the picture. And Lynn kind of has full control to, you know, hmm. do what he will with this movie. So we get to the cast. You know, in the audition process, I'll just say this much. 
Tim Curry was very happy he uh, for his friend Lynn. So he and Lynn actually went to boarding school together, and he oh, was no just kidding. so excited that Lynn got to write and direct this movie and said he wanted to be a part of it. Uh, but Tim Curry was not the first choice. He was not the second choice. Aaron, do you know who was up for uh, up for this? Yeah, there was a gentleman that has more British fame than American fame named Leonard Rossiter. And he passed away shortly before the movie was begin- set to begin filming. Yeah. Um, and then they thought about uh, Rowan Atkinson, who would later go on to Mr. Bean fame. He was yeah. still known in, in England at the time for his series Black Adder, which is really funny. I don't know if you've seen that before yourself. I actually haven't. Each season, it's he plays the same character where he's the smartest guy in the room surrounded by a bunch of fools and each season it takes on a different place in history. So Elizabethan England, World War One. It's actually That's quite cool. funny. That's cool. But he was deemed not to be well enough known in the US to proceed as with him as Wadsworth. Yeah. I also heard that John Cleese was considered as well for Wadsworth. Oh, yeah. And he would have been great and that would have been had the recognition. Amazing. Yeah, for sure. Wait. John Cleese was considered for something else we talked about recently, Ben. What was that? Oh. I think it was something that Curry was also up for. I don't remember that. Was it Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, was he considered for Doom? I think he was. I yeah. think Curry and Cleese were considered for Judge Oh, but Doom. Curry didn't get it because Curry was too scary. So maybe yeah, maybe that's when it came yeah, up. Yeah, Curry we was too scary. Curry. I think Cleese was too goofy. And of course, yeah. Christopher Lloyd got it, who's showing up right in, in the this middle. movie as well. Perfection. Oh, all, the, uh, all the orbits, man. Shared orbits. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Madeline Kahn had expressed interest in the movie. And Lynn had said that initially, like, the part of Mrs. White wasn't as fleshed out. But as soon as he heard Madeline freaking Kahn wanted to do it, he, like feverishly started writing more stuff for her to do because he's like, it's Madeline Kahn. You know, I think at this point she had uh, at least done, uh, was it Lily von Stupp from uh, oh, man. Uh, Blazing oh, yeah. Saddles? Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> she's just like, what a treasure. Let's see. Uh, Christopher Lloyd wasn't known. Like this movie actually comes out the same year as Back to the Future, but mm. he wasn't as well known at that time. But Lynn was like, he really made me laugh in the audition. And that's how I was casting people, like who was just funny. And so Lloyd, uh, Lloyd brought it. Carrie Fisher was originally slated to play Miss Scarlet. Yeah. Did you know that, Ben? Uh, I, I was told to move all fun cast facts to the next class. Okay. Yes, no, I did hear about <laughs> Carrie Fisher, though. That was the one that I had pulled aside for this. Did any of you know that before this? Before no, like, I doing did not research? know that. No. Okay. Okay. And um, there's a very 80s reason that she could not be in this movie. <laughs> Rehab. <laughs> Rehab for? Cocaine. The 80s drug yeah. of choice, cocaine, yeah. baby. Four days before filming started. Like, she yeah. made it really far to be Miss Scarlet. And what I read was that she agreed to work <laughs> furlough. <laughs> yeah. And and even received approval from, from her clinicians and the producers. But eventually the production company said, no way, Jose, because of yeah, the insurance liability. It was the liability. production company insurance company yeah. that said, no, you cannot do this. Yeah, you're right, right, right. The insurance was just way too nuts. Yeah, she's um, basically like, I will leave rehab for the day, do the movie, and then go back at night. So basically <laughs> like, yeah, I'll just I'll spend the night there. And they're like, the insurance yeah, no. company was like, yeah, no, we're not going to have it. But everyone <laughs> else was like, yeah, okay, sure. Why not? Sure, why not? Oh, I mean, it was God. the 80s. Again, you know. Right. I bet everyone who said yes was also on Coke. So basically, <laughs> they're like, well, how bad could it be? <laughs> Eileen Brennan that plays Mrs. Peacock had just come out of rehab when they started oh, filming right, this. Right. She had been in a car accident and then got 
a painkiller addiction. Yep. Mm, yeah. So a lot of like just wild things going on behind the scenes. And I guess Eileen had been kind of struggling to get back into acting. And Lynn said it was noticeable, though not in her performance. And certainly you don't get any sense in her performance that she's struggling. You know, she's, I think, one of the older characters of the the bunch, right? Yeah. But she's still running around with the rest of them and, you know, doing plenty of the physical comedy. But uh, yeah, I thought that was really fascinating. Michael McKean he just seems like a cool guy. He just knows everything. Like he was the one who was like a lockbox of information. But he's like, these jokes, I read the script, they made me laugh out loud. He's like, I didn't care it was based on a game. He's like, I remember there was a movie based on a poem that was less than a page. He had a great quote, which I'll I'll change a little bit. He's basically like, you can make a good movie or a crappy one based on anything. So he's like, that didn't really deter him. He's like, yeah, based on a board game, sure, whatever. If it's a good movie, it's a good movie. Who cares what the source material is? Any other fun things about like the cast since we're kind of talking about them? Yvette? Yeah, I'd seen that, uh, yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee, Demi Moore, and Madonna were all up for that role. And, big, uh, big names. Yeah, and Colleen Camp got it by showing up in that French made <laughs> outfit. And uh, they said, you know, it wasn't just her physical attributes that got her the role, but it certainly didn't hurt either. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, that plays into. Practically every character at some point marveling at her bosom. They're just kind of like, <laughs> Mrs. It's Peacock so has a great. <laughs> Professor Plum just, and then, then Mrs. Peacock just, Mrs. Peacock like, has like, her jaw drops. <laughs> y- Yvette in this, in this film made me try and research and prep for this episode, understanding the origin of the fetish with the French maid costume. Oh, yeah. It was a riotous rabbit hole of psychology (laughs) and history and classism. It was nuts. And I was like, you know what? This actually is kind of a little too dry for history class on 80s. But it's long. It's kind of interesting. But there's like a whole thing of like why Western society is obsessed with that like French made outfit and that idea. But I assume this did not repopularize or popularize it. It was already no. Kind there of a was thing. not like a wave of like okay. sexy maid costumes. That's <laughs> Halloween that came out. Um, okay, but uh, I just think those have been around forever. <laughs> right, right. It's but, not. It's not like you know, Power Rangers comes out and suddenly for Halloween, every kid's everyone's a Power, a Power Ranger. Ranger. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah not yeah, everyone yeah. was Yvette that Halloween. <laughs> when <Clint Yeah>. came. <laughs> Thankfully, the children weren't. Thankfully, Thank goodness. Thankfully. Oh my god, <laughs> that might be a bit much. Um, this is really interesting. So Mr. Body is played by Lee Ving. Oh, right. Yeah. There's not a really great reason why he was cast other than the studio really wanted him and Lynn didn't. He's like, this is not really my vision for the character. But he said, I had said no to some other things. So I kind of had to compromise somewhere. And this was one of his compromises. And the only ex- <laughs> the only reason I could really find is that Lee Ving, Mr. Body is leaving. Like – his right. name? I think he was the front man for a band named Fear, too. And yeah, it was he was kind right. of thrust upon them by the studio. But I, could you find out why, other than his name was leaving? No. <laughs> Which I don't I, think is I, a great reason. But <laughs> I, I was assuming, based on what I read, and co- totally an assumption in me reading between the lines, but I, I was thinking, well, maybe this was a up-and-coming band and somebody was oh. trying to get them more exposure that was probably yeah. some sort oh, of interesting. cross-platform okay. marketing going on there. I don't know. Based on not any other evidence, it does kind of have that thing of like someone at the studio knew him and was just like, you know, maybe like a big exec or whatever was like, okay, we're doing it. And, you know, it's sort of like, okay, well, I guess yeah. uh, I guess we're doing that. But <laughs> I, I 
would say, like, of all the casting, he does feel a little bit like a mismatch to me. Yeah, there may have been some quid pro quo going on there for sure. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, the only other one that I want to talk about, and it's not really specific to this character or role, but the evangelist slash chief is oh, yeah, right. uh, Howard, Howard Hesman. Hesman. And of course, we talked about him because he's Dr. Faraday in Flight of the Navigator. Oh, and of course, yeah. was on WKRP in Cincinnati. We made that reference in that episode. Nice. Yeah, he played uh, Johnny Fever on WKRP. And then uh, he went on to more 80s fame as head of the class, the teacher in that show. Oh, I forgot he was in that. Oh, oh yeah. The uh, the singing telegram girl is the guitarist for the Go-Go's. Yes, oh, thank right. you. Yeah, Jane thank Wideland. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her very brief <laughs> appearance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk just a little bit about production. So before anyone kind of dives into production, Lynn brings them all to the Paramount lot to watch the classic screwball comedy, His Girl Friday. This is starring Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. And he's basically like, I want us to nail this cadence. It's clipped quick delivery of the lines. And that's what I would like us to do for this movie. So that was sort of an inspiration for the cast to figure out the comedic timing of how they're going to deliver all this dialogue. Have either of you seen His Girl Friday? No, I actually have. It's been a while, so I don't remember many plot points, but it's funny because you think of Cary Grant, you think of the suave, debonair, uh, leading man, but I mean, a lot of his movies early on were more slapstick and such. He was in another movie where he's a ghost, and then he's in Mm. the movie, um, can't remember the name of it, it's his ants are crazy and they're killing people and burying them in their basement. Wait, is that Arsenic Uh, and Old Lace? Yes, that's it. Thank you. You actually turned me on to that movie. That's a really good one. Yes. His uncle thinks he's Teddy Roosevelt and he charges (laughs) up the hill like he's going up San Juan Hill. Yeah. So uh, Cary Grant has some slapstick chops. So Absolutely. And of course, they have that transatlantic accent. See? Oh, yeah. (laughs) What do you know there? Ring-a-ding-ding, kid. So that helps them kind of get, the again, the tone and cadence of the movie. So Clue is filmed on a soundstage at Paramount Pictures in Hollywood. All the interiors were basically built, with the exception of one room. One is an actual location, and I couldn't find out why, but this one was the ballroom. It was filmed on location at a mansion in South Pasadena, California, which sadly was burned in a fire in 2005, so it's not there anymore. When I was doing a rewatch of the movie... My wife was like, that is a beautiful mansion. Where is that? And I was like, oh, of course. Let's look it up. Do, 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 do. Oh, yep. Sorry. Burned to the ground in 2005. Bummer. Um, yeah. Because the exterior it. shots were done there as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. That's right. So that ballroom, which I, I always felt looked different. I think it's lit differently than the rest of the movie. But that room always felt sort of out of character with the rest of the yeah. house. And now it kind of makes sense because it was... On location. And I don't know why, other than they didn't need the ballroom too much. So they were just like, well, rather than build this set, we're not going to have to use. Like, it's very briefly in the movie. So I'm guessing it was probably cheaper just to have Colonel Mustard and uh, Miss Scarlet. Uh, Miss Scarlet are in it. So they probably just sent them out there with a, you know, a minimal crew, shot it half a day or whatever. And we're like, okay, we're good. I also wonder, too, if maybe, like you said, it didn't have the feel of the rest of the set. 
And so maybe more scenes in that room hit the editing floor because mm-hmm. it, didn't, it didn't really fit the continuity of the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then a fun fact is, uh, it's such a great set, which I agree, that the producers of Dynasty uh, actually used it for their fictional hotel, the Carlton. So if you're familiar with Dynasty and you're like, this set looks a little familiar, now you know why. Nice. The interiors decorated in authentic 18th and 19th century furnishings. They rented them from private collectors, including the estate of, speaking of which, Mr. Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> nice. Right. Oh, yeah. Good old Good. Teddy himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's just a little bit about some fun behind-the-scenes production stuff. So movie comes together. It's released in theaters December 13th, 1985. Again, each theater receives one of three endings. Yeah, right. Uh, I did mention four. We'll get to the endings in a second. One of them is scrapped. And some theaters announced which ending the viewers would see, but they only said ending A, B, or C. Oh. And so the idea would be like, oh, well, we went to this theater and saw A. Oh, this theater showing B. We should go see the movie again to see a different ending. Well, that didn't really happen. <laughs> this movie ends up grossing $14.6 million in North America, uh, but it's made for $15 million. Oh, dear. Womp, womp, indeed. Also not helping, it doesn't get great reviews from critics. Janet Maslin from New York Times panned it. She says the beginning is really the only part of the film that's remotely engaging. After that, it begins to drag. Siskel and Ebert do not like this movie. You know, sometimes they're, you know, a little at odds with one another. Well, they both ganged up on this movie. Clue offers a few big laughs early on, followed by a lot of characters running around on a treadmill to nowhere. The three separate endings are a gimmick to distract audiences from the rest of the film it's a movie that needs three different middles rather than three different endings. Ouch, Gene Siskel. Yeah, I think you've touched on this before that getting a bad review from Siskel and Ebert was a death knell in the 80s. Yeah, because right. that was they had a program and people tuned in and yeah. made decisions on whether to attend movies based on what they said. Absolutely. I guess you just had to be there. But I'm just shocked that this got panned so hard. You know, I mean, I don't want to jump so far ahead to math class, but, like, this is one of my favorite comedies of all time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can understand, like, it's not the flavor for some people, but just to get hit so hard in the by the critics, I'm just really shocked. I'm really shocked. It's a bummer. Yeah, I, I don't know why everything is so stacked against it. Is it that people were just kind of like... It's based off of a board game. What are we doing here? Like, you know, if it came in as an original movie, not based off a board game, would that make any difference? I don't know. I think the the film also had tones that were uh, more prevalent than they are now. Um, You know, you had a lot more slapstick comedy, like movies with Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, Fletch came out a year or two later, those sorts of films. So maybe it was they set the bar higher for it than they would Mm -hmm. by today's standards because they don't really make movies quite like this anymore. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so maybe it didn't stand out as much, I guess. You know, it didn't find its own avenue. I don't know. You know, I looked to see if it came out against like powerhouse movies and not really. It was like Jewel of the Nile, the Romancing the Stone sequel. Now, I can't remember what the other movies were, but nothing there was like, oh my gosh. It was like when we did the Weird Al movie, UHF, it came out against like eight amazing movies. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, okay, I get it. I also get why that movie would flop even without that. It's kind of an acquired taste. But this was a little surprising. 
I did not see this movie in the theater growing up, uh, but I do remember it being out and looking at the poster when I went and saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh. So it was up against oh, yeah. that. I know that. <laughs> I don't know if they were released close to one another, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be. I mean, that's the other thing, too. If it didn't release against something else, it doesn't mean there wasn't a great movie that was still writing on success from a month before or something. And coming out in December, too, there weren't really December blockbusters back then either, the way it was yeah. summer blockbusters where they weren't December blockbusters that came later with like Lord of the Rings and the Harry yeah, Potter movies yeah, yeah. and stuff always being released around the holidays. No, that's a good point. So it may have been a movie dead zone. You know, Ebert similarly gave it two out of four stars. He said it had a promising cast, but the screenplay is so very, very thin that the actors spend most of their time looking frustrated as if they'd just been cut off Right before they were about to say something interesting, I don't understand what he's talking about. What? I don't understand what he's talking about. a different movie than I did. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't know. Some of these critiques are really strange. So uh, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, the film holds an approval rating of 68% of critic reviews based off 34 reviews. But it has an audience score of 86%. And that's based off of 50,000 reviews. Jeez. <laughs> so, again, okay. now we have the benefit of time. Sure. Again, this is a, a, a cult classic that really found its footing uh, in home media, which is not uncommon. But, yeah, 86%. Uh, similarly, on Metacritic, 39 out of 100 from 11 critics, but an 8.1 – from 173 users. So again, it's it's a lot more favorable. I believe that's on a 10-point scale on Metacritic. Clearly, it seems critics didn't know what to make of this movie, weren't impressed, not interested. You know, maybe the alternate endings put a sour taste in some people's mouth. Because if you think about it, some of those endings are a lot more enjoyable than others. And some of the like fun little moments, you wouldn't see unless you saw that particular ending. So I don't know if maybe... Critics had the benefit of knowing that and were a little bit put off by it. Who knows? Weird. Okay. As mentioned, John Landis was the one who said, hey, I want multiple endings, which again was panned for being a gimmick. And I think it's fair to say it is indeed a gimmick. But it's cool in the same sense that if you play the game three or four times, it's going to be a different ending every time as well. Sure. I don't think he was like, we'll make three times the money and like twisting his mustache and like holding a giant bag with a dollar sign on it. Like, I don't, I don't think that was his intent, but certainly it backfired, right? Like it just didn't quite work out for whatever reason. Maybe people didn't feel like it was worth seeing multiple times in the theater. Maybe they just thought they'd wait until it was on home video. I don't know. So just a little bit about each ending. So ending A is the Miss Scarlet ending. So these do kind of play out in the order that you would see on home video release if you've uh, watched it on streaming services or if you have it on DVD or Blu-ray. Mm. You know, basically, you get to choose a random ending or you can watch all three, which when it came out on like basic cable channels or premium channels, they ended up kind of stringing all three together. But if you have like home media or again, streamers these days, you I think you on all of them, you can choose if you want random or all. Um, I know, again, at least you can on the hard copies. I don't think Amazon gave me that option when I streamed it on there. Okay, I think I saw that Netflix did. So oh. maybe at some point when it was on Netflix, I don't think it's there anymore. But yeah, I could see Amazon probably not. So did Amazon just show like all three? Yeah, in yeah, the okay. ABC order. Yeah. Got it. 
So A, of course, again, as the Miss Scarlet uh, ending, that's the how it might have happened. Yes. And then the how about this ending B is Mrs. Peacock. And then, of course, ending C is the here's what really happened. It really happened, yeah. Again, if you're watching all three, which basically everyone commits a murder with the exception of Mr. Green. Well, that's not true. Mr. Green actually does commit murder. He kills Oh, Mr. he Bobby. kills Wadsworth. It's not murder, though. Whole... It's self-defense. Self-defense. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> good shot, Green. Oh, very, very good. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the one that's probably the most... Um, I think satisfying. They're, they're all fun in their own way, but that's the one where everyone has a little hand in murder. Uh, but there was this fourth ending that we've alluded to. Yeah, what is the fourth ending? This one I did not know about. Aaron, did you see about the fourth ending? I did. I did. And frankly, I, I had never read anything about this either yeah. prior to now. I didn't know that was a, was a thing. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the uh, high level what happens? Sure. So at the fourth ending, Wadsworth does all the murders himself. And then after admitting that he killed a vet and the cook and Mr. Body and the motorist and the cop, he tells everybody that he has poisoned them and manages to escape out of the house and jump into one of the police cars, at which point two Dobermans come up from behind the back seat and growl and it cuts away. So you assume that uh, he got mauled. <laughs> Basically, in no his getaway. Way. What? Why would you not yeah. produce this? That's such a wacky, crazy, wild ending that you. It's oh. pretty dark. It's a dark ending. I believe ending. they filmed it. I just don't think that it was ever edited and included, but I think oh, it was filmed. That's such a so, bummer. I love that. I think Michael McKean said that he remembered at least part of it being filmed, if not all of it. And at okay. some point it was scrapped. So he wasn't sure if it was like partially during filming. They were just like, eh, we're not going to do this one. But yeah, it did eventually get dropped. And it, from what I could tell, Lynn was the one who decided to uh, to not pursue this one. Again, I think they thought it was a little too dark, but it's it's kind of fun in that it has the little button at the end with the dogs kind of bringing that. Well, it's, yeah, it's very like, you know, uh, that like gag full circle. 80s Jason Voorhees in the backseat waiting for you kind of thing. Right? <laughs> it's great. Uh, I, I would love to see that ending. That would be great. There was a book that was published accompanying this, and it, that ending was in the book. So yes. oh, cool. there is something okay. published somewhere. I don't know how hard that would be to get your hands on nowadays, yeah. but uh, oh, maybe an eBay find. But yeah. you can at least read the, the dramatization or the novelization of it there. And then, of course, it brings it back to the old trope. The butler did it, right? Right, right. <laughs> That's fun. That's very cool. I dig it. So that's kind of what we have for history class. Is there anything else we need to talk about, gentlemen, before we head to chemistry and talk more about our memories? We, we dug in a little bit. We couldn't help ourselves. This is such a fun one. But is there anything else we need to cover in history proper? Uh, nothing for me. Yeah. All right. Well, I was fumbling in the dark and I found this knob. What? Another door? Uh, I say we throw it open and tell whoever's inside to just look out. Uh, because I'm hoping it's the chemistry lab where, again, we can talk more about our memories with this movie. I love it. Are you there? I'm coming. <laughs> you guys, you don't want to come into this room. It's all too shocking. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait to talk about that scene. That's great. <laughs> this is a free country. Don't you know that? I didn't know, I didn't that, know that, free. that free. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. This is so exciting. So if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you've seen this movie. 
Let's, of course, start off how we usually do with chemistry. Earliest memories of the movie. But I do want to take a step back because I'm just curious. Early memories of playing the board game Clue or any of the versions of it. Gents, have you played the game? Do you have younger memories, 80s memories of playing the board game Clue? What do you think? Ben, what you got? When I was first conscious, this this board game was in the house. This was part of the, the collection. Was it in your crib? You just had a giant board yes. game with all these small. Well, it was weird. Like my family parts. was trying to trade me in my crib. They would just <laughs> drop like a real candlestick and a real length of rope. And I don't know. I was I was armed and dangerous. Or was the mobile above your bed just all of oh, the yeah, murder it was weapons? all the clue weapons. That was great. <laughs> I mean, at the age I was when when I discovered the Clue game, like it was almost like an early Pokemon or Magic. I liked just going mm. through the cards. The yeah. addition we had was were real photographs, but they weren't the photographs of people from the movie. Um, so it was just kind of fun to like go through and look at the artwork and like the house and the and the different cast, uh, and then just like play with the little weapons was was kind oh, yeah. of fun. Uh, you know, it was like plastic noose. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was like monopoly pieces with, with evil intent, with malintent. It was good. <laughs> I mean, that's my earliest memory. The only thing I, you know, a mutual friend we know, Rob, I've, I've tried playing clue with Rob and Rob has such like a Mensa brain that like mm. after everybody goes once, he can usually guess the combination correctly. Wow. Like, and he's got like nothing on his card. It's sort of like uh like 4D chess Sudoku in his brain. I don't know how he does it. But wow. like I need like 19 rounds before I can make a confident guess. I'm a terrible yes. clue. Yes. <laughs> he sounds like the friend of Blacklist from all games. Yeah. It, it <laughs> shocked out, me. <laughs> Uh, he's also the dude that can beat Contraf on NES in like 15 minutes. He's a, he's an amazing human being when it comes to gaming. Wow. I did not know this about Rob. That's amazing. I know, right? Uh, but what about you guys? What about you guys? Yeah, Aaron. My earliest memories are, I think we had this exact same edition that you did with all the old photographs. Yeah. Colonel Mustard had the chops, the mutton chops. Oh, yeah. Down yes. to the beard and the mustache. And the like. The, I think he had a monocle, too. And Miss Scarlet was Asian and like in the silk oh, kimono yeah. kind of dress and stuff. Um, Mr. Green was bald and in a three-piece pinstripe suit. Mrs. White was a maid, I believe. Yeah, she was. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I had that same edition, and we used to play that game pretty frequently. Uh, my dad was always a big board gamer, and he kind of got us all into it. So my brother, sister, and I, and my dad, we would all play that game together, and we had a lot of fun. It wasn't until I met Chris that I realized there was a master detective version of the game that had more rooms, more Oh, the poisons, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'd never played it before that, but, you know, Chris and I have played the master detective version before together as well. Yeah, I still have it, by the way. Uh, it's on oh, my shelf. you can't give that away. <laughs> and they re-released it. You can go buy it oh, now. Oh, cool. Oh, really? Yeah. It was out of print for the longest time. It looks very similar. I think it's... Does it? I was going to ask you how the aesthetic yeah. was compared to yours. It's pretty much a faithful reproduction. Okay. I was surprised. You know, usually they kind of modernize it and it looks a little like slicker and... But it still has... I, th I think it's pretty much the same aesthetic. I don't think they changed much, which is cool. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, out of curiosity, I went to look it up. I was like, I wonder how much it costs. And it's $30 because you can buy it brand new. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I remember, obviously, growing up playing this a lot like you guys, similar thing. I loved the mansion. I usually just 
would use it like with other characters. Ben, you interchange those weapons with other toy, you know, toys you're playing with. Yeah. You know, they become weapons for your your whatever, your G.I. Joes, your Legos or whatnot. I definitely remember that. I remember it like different versions of the box, whether I was at like a friend's house or like I went to daycare for a while. And I think there was like a version of it there. And another interesting memory I have is going over to our cousin's house and the adults were playing Clue on their VCR. What? I do remember that. You do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. I do. On their VCR? Yeah, there was a video game in, yeah. Yeah, so it's basically like it plays out this scene and then you have cards and instructions and it's kind of like the game, but you're watching like a little scene and it has like, I think, 18 different mysteries to solve. I actually looked it up on YouTube and started watching one. I couldn't get very far into it. It was a little boring, but um, <laughs> but I remember them like getting together and playing this game on the VCR and thinking like, how are they even doing this? Like as a kid, I don't know how old I was. I was, I mean, I was in grade school for sure, but I couldn't tell you how old. I just remember being very puzzled how they were playing on the VCR, yeah. but they were. <laughs> That's cool. That's interesting. So I remember that. And then, yeah, later, I don't know, it was probably like preteen is, you know, whenever Clue Master Detective came out, I guess it was 88. At some point, I ended up picking it up. And yeah, you get more everything. Suspects, weapons, the house is a lot bigger. There's even like another secret passage or whatever. Um, that one was a lot of fun. And like you, Ben, I need 38 rounds. Yeah. And I'm terrible at this game. I have no logical deduction skills whatsoever. Everyone always gets to it. Like you said, maybe not one round. That's genius level. It's insane. But like... I knew somebody who she had a iron lock memory and brain for this game, and she could just puzzle it out in a way that was it left me dumbfounded. <laughs> I was just totally shocked. It's like, oh my god, um, terrible at it. Aaron, it was were one you, plus you, one plus two plus one. <laughs> one plus two. Shut up, <laughs> Aaron. Were you? Are you good at the game? I you strike me as somebody who would be very good at it. Yeah, very I was pretty solid at the game. Not okay. first round good, but you know, <laughs> three or four rounds, you usually have at least a couple of those things. It was usually figuring out the room that mm. was the most difficult because you know you can't make an accusation unless you're in a room. Right. And like everything with a dice roll involved, it can be prohibited in that manner. Uh, but yeah, I, I was always pretty solid at that game. Did Slash do you guys have a go-to character that you, you like to play as? I was always Colonel Mustard when I was a little kid. I was always Colonel Mustard. Okay, so this is going to make it weird, but but me too. Oh, really? Wait, you too? Maybe, yeah. maybe it's because he always goes second and we didn't want to be Miss Scarlet. I don't think so. I don't think okay. I chose based on the – you know, I actually forgot that the play order was predetermined. Yeah. I had forgotten that. I think I just – there was something about the aesthetic of his character I think I liked. For some reason, yeah. I thought he was the coolest character because yellow was not my favorite color. No. We just wanted to be colonels, I guess. As, <laughs> as a kid, to me, the concept that a grown adult was named after a condiment was hilarious. And that's maybe why that's I always wanted was. to be Colonel Mustard. I was like, that's Maybe that's, that's what it was. I think that addition we had with the pictures too, like Mr. Green just looked angry. So too <laughs> angry. Never want to be. Him. Doesn't want to be at the party. And Professor Plum looked confused. I yeah. Remember he had a pipe and he was like, <laughs> like looking all goofy. Mr. Green looked like Oswald Cobblepot before he turned into the penguin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll get you, Batman. Batman. Yes. Yeah. 
Wah, wah, wah. That's amazing. I love all of that. So uh, let's talk about the movie then. Yes. Um, earliest memories of this movie. Um, let's just keep the order going. Ben, where did you first encounter the movie? I was a very late bloomer to the movie. I think I, I think I saw it at a perfect time for what its uh, comedy is written. Mm. I think I was like an early teen when okay. I first saw it, uh, which was uh, unfortunately after the 80s and was just like dumbfounded at what I was seeing. Like I had not seen a, it's, you know, it's got some little flavors in it of the naked gun and airplane and some other sure. sort of great witty pun and slapstick comedy slapstick. Oh yeah. But like yep. a, a totally different beast. And I was, I was, uh, in love. I was starstruck. So you immediately liked it. You didn't have to give it a couple watches before you finally got it no. right away. You were Thank like, God this I is hadn't my jam. read Siskel's gobbledy gook or it would have turned me <laughs> off from it. No, I was, I was all in. <laughs> All right, Aaron. I would have been mid to late 80s, too, after it came out on VHS. I, okay. I, I think I was like 10 or 11 when we first got our first VCR. I know we rented it and watched it back when renting was a thing from a physical store. Right. Um, and I, again, I loved it immediately, too. Uh, I loved the slapstick comedy, the the witty back and forth. The the timing in that mo- this movie is just phenomenal yeah. oh my god the, the cast they're, they're all brilliant comedians so oh my gosh or at least comedic actors so yeah i i actually can't place when i saw it i think it was in the 90s so i would have been a teenager one of the most vivid memories i have because you know, it would come on cable a lot usually it would come on yeah, at like sure. random times it ended up being like an inexpensive filler for like non-peak hours and that's where it really kind of finds its footing uh, which we'll talk about a little bit but um I remember being in Florida visiting my grandparents and we were at my aunt's house and I remember watching it. It was on television and we had it on as we were like sitting around talking or doing whatever we were doing. Maybe we actually played poker a lot. So maybe we were playing poker. I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) we were doing something like that. And um, I remember my grandfather, who is just a very precise, literal, a very kind of like procedural minded guy. When it got to the here's how it could have happened and then it switched to another. He was like, well, I don't. I don't understand. So <laughs> the first ending didn't actually happen. Well, well, that's just nonsense. And like he just kept analyzing to death the fact that, well, there was an ending. How was that not the ending? It, it, that oh broke him. God. So <laughs> he would have benefited from going to the theater and seeing one ending and just being done. What is this? <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> Psychotic break over Clue. <laughs> <laughs> clue, my grandfather's undoing. But uh, <laughs> so that's like the most vivid memory. But uh, like you guys, I think right away, I just loved Again, the the comedic timing, the farce nature of it, the quick witted dialogue, the snappy like it's it's a movie you quote to each other. Like yeah. there's so few movies where it's like you can just quote large swaths of dialogue because it's just so freaking good. And this is definitely one of those movies. Again, as evidenced by the fact that every time Aaron and I hang out, not only is it just a quote, we do the whole back and forth of the scene. Yeah, we got problems. I mean, who would want to kill the cook? <laughs> Dinner wasn't that bad. This is some time for jokes. <laughs> it's a defense mechanism. <laughs> it's just, it's uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, see, we're off our game. We're not doing yeah, well. We are. <laughs> We've referenced it so many times. Chris, sometimes you like to do this and some things. Do we want to do like a rapid fire, like favorite quotes from the movie? Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to kind of go through it in any particular order. But if we do have like hallmark scenes or – I mean, okay, let, let's maybe do it in chunks. So the first chunk would be up until 
Mr. Body is killed. So that first part of the movie, all the guests are coming in, they go to the dinner scene and all that. Are there any great moments that you guys really love in this first third of the movie, the opening setup? Well, there's two quotes I love so much is is when Wadsworth is out on the front porch and the dogs are out there with Mr. Green and Wadsworth goes, oh. sit. And Mr. Green sits down very quickly. <laughs> it's so small, but I always thought that looked, was hilarious. My wife just watched this for the first time with me earlier this week, and she laughed really hard when that happened. I love that. I love that. And for some reason, we quoted this a lot when we were kids. I thought this was so funny. Is when Colonel Mustard meets uh, Wadsworth, and he's like, what do you do? He's like, I'm a butler. And he's like, what does that mean? He goes, I buttle. I bottle. <laughs> I, I love that I turning butler into a verb was so good. I bottle. That's a great line. <laughs> what about you guys? I love when they sit down and they get the shark fin soup and they start <laughs> slurping. <laughs> and the whole other half of the table, because they're just dumbfounded, staring at them like, what is happening so right now? Like The tan... <laughs> Back and forth. It's so funny. That always yeah. made me laugh really hard at the setup. Oh, my gosh. There's also when uh, Christopher Lloyd and Leslie and Warren are, are coming up to the house and they stop. And it's like, you see the mansion and the light deed. Why is the car stopped? It's frightened. It's afraid. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, that's good. That's a great That's a great one. Also, we've already mentioned it, but the like Cobra Commander cowl Holy that is cow. fixed to Miss Scarlet's dress. That's a whole nother level. It's, Amazing. It's her, is it her coat or is it her dress? Because it comes off, remember, when she arrives. I so thought I think it was it's a, like, like her removable. Shawl. Maybe it okay. was. Okay, yeah, maybe it's like a shawl piece. Because obviously it's a matching part of her dress. Yeah, it's like a wrap for a cocktail party dress. Whatever the heck it is, it's amazing. Yes, for sure. And probably not practical to have on the whole time, but I low-key wanted her to always be in that, yes. especially running around. Because, like, there's a one point where Mrs. Peacock keeps, like, fighting with her hat as it's, like, falling in her face. And I could almost see that for Miss Scarlet, like, <laughs> fighting this ridiculous hood that's behind her. Oh, that's so Leslie and Warren really suffered for that role because they said yeah. she was wearing a very tight corset. So in between takes, several of the cast members would be shooting pool in the billiard room and she would just be leaning up against something because right. she couldn't even lean over to do that. Like having an asthma attack. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just trying to get some oxygen down into her lungs. Oh my God. I realized they were doing period outfits, but you would just have to think like, okay, we can achieve this without like boa constricting one of our actors. That just seems miserable. Yeah. Even aside from that, that could have been um, general masculine toxicity (laughs) of the time playing in. It was like, oh, you're going to go ahead and suffer through this regardless. So because we want you to look that much thinner. Yeah. I mean, we talked about Carrie Fisher. Famously, she had a terrible time on, um, I think it was at least the third movie, Return of the Jedi. I don't remember if it was the other ones, but oh, it's because, yeah. you know, she was in the like the Jabba's Palace right, when she was right, right, right. in chains or whatever, and very famously suffered tremendously for that because, you know, she had to be quote unquote thin. Yeah. So I think you're onto something, Aaron. You'll suffer for your art. You don't get a choice. I mean, when you watch her act, you can kind of see where some of her movements seem a little um, stiff. And I never really thought much about it. But now in retrospect, I'm like, well, that's why. The poor woman was barely able to breathe and move. Can't breathe in this thing. (laughs) Spaceballs. (laughs) It's a great scene. (laughs) I had 
had to run. If I walked, the movie would be over. Okay, we can start quoting that movie, but oh my gosh, I want to. <laughs> ban is the next topic, Spaceballs. Let's just rip the Band-Aid off. I would happily next do episode. Spaceballs. I just oh rewatched that a couple weeks ago. It's great. These are not them. <laughs> You've captured the stunt double. No, no, we're supposed to be quoting Clue, guys. Clue, focus, sorry, focus. Sorry. Favorite Clue quotes. You're a bit late for that. Are you trying to make that? me look stupid in front of the other guests? Oh my god. No, sir, you don't need any help from me. That's right. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, well, rather than just make it bound by certain sections of the movie, let's just throw anything else out there. Because this movie, honestly, just goes off into a mad pace after this. Other fun scenes. Um, Well, I'll say one of mine. Well, my okay, I have two things. I have a favorite short and then a favorite long exchange. My favorite long exchange is the one we attempted earlier and did not do very well, which is, who would want to kill the cook? Dinner wasn't that bad. This is some time for jokes. It's my defense mechanism. Some defense. If I was the killer, I would kill you next. Oh, yeah, that's right. I said if. (laughs) (laughs) There's only one admitted killer here, and it's her. I've admitted to nothing. You took the bribe. How many husbands have you had? Mine or other women? (laughs) Yours. (laughs) Five. Five? Yes, just five. I believe men should be like Kleenex. Strong, soft, and disposable. (laughs) You lure them into their death like a spider with flies. Flies are where a man is most vulnerable. Right. <laughs> so good. Wow, that was impressive. You guys really do know this movie. Nicely done. Wow. We, yeah, we do sadly. it even faster in person. Like, I, I yeah. think we have a little bit of a delay. Oh, my but it's God. Zoom lag. Yeah. yeah. So that's my favorite long one. I think I just love that exchange. And my favorite short one is uh, the, you go first, no, after you. What are you afraid of? A fate worse than death? No, just death. Isn't that enough? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that enough? That so good. Um, what else? I love the whole scene when the cop shows up and they're like, no, you can't go in that room. It's all oh too shocking. <laughs> that just whole scene where they're all just like making out with the dead bodies, trying to hide That's everything. Awful. Is That's my favorite line is when he goes, this man's drunk. <laughs> dead, dead drunk. drunk. Dead drunk. Right. This man won't be driving home tonight, officer. I can promise you that. There's we'll get him a, a, a car, a big black car. A long black one. A limo. <laughs> like, not just like the blocking, but what's even just going on in that scene. And they're like you guys yeah. said, there's so many quotes. I mean, when they come out, you know, the cop is defending them. He's like, it's yeah. a free country. <laughs> I didn't know it was that free. Like, I've seen everything and you have nothing to worry about. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah. Curry, Tim Curry acts the heck out of that scene with the cop right afterwards. Um, oh I just, God. that's like one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie. I love that it's all too shocking in there. Oh, that's great. It is brilliant yeah that is a fantastic runner like that whole segment of the movie and then he was like oh for obstructing an officer in the course of his duty and murder murder <laughs> what do you mean murder? murder? <laughs> i just said it so you'd open the door like there's all these right. little like right. false right. hints that he's catching on uh it's just, and i love the comedy of errors right where like not all the characters are on the same page and they're talking about a different thing and he thinks the cop is like, yeah, murder's fine. And the cop's just like, what? It's just people having a drunken yeah, good time. Yeah, they just having and a like, good time in there. A couple of young, young uh, kids. Um, brilliant. Like, you know, brilliant. as kids, I don't know why, but we loved quoting all the time. I am your singing telegram. <laughs> Bam. Yeah. I don't know why, but like that was just such a thing we said to each other so much. We did a lot of the, uh, and monkey's brains, while popular in Cantonese cuisine are not often to be found in Washington, D.C. Is that what we had for dinner? (laughs) 
that the when they're in the lounge after the secret passageway, he's like, "Let us in, let us in, let us in, let us in." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm shot. I've been <laughs> shot. Why are you shooting at us? He's like, I can't take I any more can scares. Take scares. And the chandelier drops <laughs> down right, right. him. Yeah. <laughs> that and of course the one plus one plus two plus one, not one plus two plus one plus one. That's one plus two another. Plus, shut up. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, a that's like some who's on first rapid fire. Yeah. Like so good. Well, and then the, the similar companion one to that is the, uh, well, there's still some confusion if there's anyone in the house or not. Is there or isn't there? Oh, I yeah, said no right. meaning yes. No meaning yes. <laughs> that. And then, the my the, of course, my favorite is, and it's the only improvised scene in the oh, whole God, film, yes. is right. Mrs. White with the, <laughs> I hated her so much that it played. <laughs> Flame, heaving, heaving breaths on the side of my face. Like, that makes me laugh every time I watch it. It just makes me love Madeline Kahn that much more oh every time. It's unfortunate we're not a visual podcast, because listeners, Aaron went full into it. I mean, the, the, the hand gestures, you can see, he just channeled Kahn. <laughs> It was really good. <laughs> but that was the only ad lib. That was so amazing. So apparently Lynn was like, stick to the script. But that was like the one part where... She was able to break, and I guess everyone lost it every time. They were like, there were so many cutaways where, like, they just dropped to the floor laughing. Yeah. Like, every single take. And they're like, each take, she got even more bizarre and Please. crazy. Like, Madeline Kahn was a freaking genius. That's what they need to have, like, on a special edition extra is, like, yes. a bunch of the, even if it's grainy, unproduced, you know, bad film. Oh, my gosh. Over and over. All the different outtakes of her doing that that line. <laughs> it so funny. I love thinking that it's out there, and maybe one of these days it'll, like, come out of the vault and see the light Someday of day. we'll get it. With the fourth ending. I would ending. hope so. I also loved, I forgot about this line when, uh, before the rewatch this week. I choose to expose myself. Please, there are ladies present. Uh, that was golden. Yeah. I love that. He'd been found at home. He'd looked quite surprised. Yeah. His yes. head had been cut off. His end up, you, you know. know. You know. But he never reappeared. He wasn't a very good illusionist. <laughs> he was great. So clutch. And the final line of the movie, I don't know why, but this is the other one. The the So we quote it all the time, I'm just saying Telegram, bam. And we also always love saying, like, I'm going home to sleep with my wife. Like, yeah. just And I don't know what it was about a kid hearing that line. Like, there was just such confidence that you were going to get some that night. That was funny. I don't know. Like, you know, as, as a young teen, it seems like Nookie is the impossible get. So maybe that was why it was so funny. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that I also love Wadsworth line when he starts explaining and he goes, I know. No, because I was there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's one thing I don't understand. Oh, just one? <laughs> right. right. There's that. And then there's another one. Oh, oh, our other favorite one, Aaron, is we said it earlier. Well, to make a long story short. Too late. Yeah, yeah right. Which right. actually, they when do Aaron, that twice. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They do it. And then the whole group does it the second time. But when Aaron texts me, actually, what the text tone is, well, to make a long story short, too late. Like, that is actually what comes through when you text me. It was so good. And then when he calls me, it's, for she's a jolly good fellow, for she's a jolly good fellow. So whenever Aaron calls me, I never want to answer the phone because I just want to hear (laughs) that song. Deny, deny. I love you, Mrs. White above everybody else. Can we just talk about how well that song is sung with the harmonies? Oh, yeah, it's very good. Oh, my God. It is so good. It's very well done. (laughs) 
Well, well, almost everybody in that cast has some Broadway experience. Oh, that would explain it. Leslie Ann Warren was big in the 60s. She did a television production of the Cinderella Broadway show. Eileen Brennan did it. You can hear Leslie Ann Warren's voice in their singing, so you can tell oh, she's yeah, actually sure. got some musical chops. But well, Tim yeah. Curry does too, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, he's here. done Broadway. I saw him on Spam a lot in Spam a lot really? in the original cast. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, you can clearly hear Madeline Kahn singing above everybody else. <laughs> adding the, deny, deny, like singing the, the back of the little add-ins there. It's so funny. <laughs> and then Michael McKeon was in Spinal Tap, right? Yeah, that's right. He, he had was. to sing in that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can call. So maybe Christopher Lloyd, does he sing? Maybe? Yeah, I, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. If he sings, I don't know. <laughs> But oh my gosh, that whole rendition is so good. And then, of course, the uh, Mrs. Peacock was a man. And they just keep smacking <laughs> so, it. Oh, yeah. Slap him. Right. Uh, there's so many more. But is there anything else like, uh, well, okay, we can come back to quotes if we think of any. But are there any fun touches or things that we haven't covered yet that were like little gems you learned about this movie? So I do have a few. Um, when they pair off, uh, they pair off in turn order of the game. That was awesome. I think I saw that. Yeah. That was so cool. And then they kept the secret passages true to the game as well. So the lounge goes to the conservatory and the kitchen goes to, um, what is it? Study. Yeah, the kitchen goes to the study. Well, I, think, yeah. I think all the rooms are in the same order as on the board as they are in the yeah, movie. They yeah, are. which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, they did that too. And then which the parquet was super flooring cool. in the in there is like that as well. So yeah. I mean, they they really dedicated a lot of thought in what would be now called Easter eggs into yeah. into yeah. that as well. So and then the characters all arrive in cars that are colored according to their character too in the game which i never knew that was also a great little thing as well because not no one's really wearing their color like interestingly enough right like mrs white when she takes her black like jacket off it's all white There's inside white but otherwise yeah. she's wearing the opposite in fact i think all the women are wearing opposite colors yeah cuz mrs scarlet's in green and mrs peacock is in i mean it's sort of a a a brownish yeah, color, goldish yeah. yellow, which yellow and blue are opposite. So, you know. They talk about communism being a red herring multiple yeah, times funny. in each of the endings. And then at the beginning, when Wadsworth goes in to see the cook, you can see Senator Joe McCarthy's on yeah. with one of his hearings on the television behind her going on with the, the hearings about the Red Scare that went on in America at the time. Yeah, like all this stuff I didn't realize. And it's so cool. Um, ben, did you? Catch any other like fun little touches? Uh, the only two fun facts that haven't been mentioned so far is I do love that Wadsworth says the police will arrive in 39 minutes. And in real time in the movie, the chief rings the doorbell in 45 minutes. So I like that it's kind of close. It's kind of a fun little yeah, yeah. thing to remind yourself in the movie. And then the only other one I saw that I loved is Professor Plum notes at dinner that he works for the World Health Organization, part of the United Nations Organization. So if you broke that down as an acronym, that spells you know who, which is yeah. which is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's another good line when Howard Hesman is at the door and he's like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> he goes, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's already here. It's already <laughs> you ain't just whistling Dixie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go away, you beatnik. <laughs> you beatnik. I don't know why that's so funny, beatnik. <laughs> Oh, it's partially away, the way she it. delivers that line is fantastic. Well, she's also got the one like, oh, let them be locked up for another half an hour. The police <laughs> hey. are on their way and there are two dead bodies in the study. 
Uh, with other fun facts, trivia behind the scenes, Christopher? Well, I mean, you guys hit like the really great ones. The other one is like, this is the first movie based off of a board game, at least in the US. I did not see any others, but you know, there's there's not been a ton. We did cover Battleship that did eventually oh my God, get a, did we cover not a great movie, but yeah. um, uh, I don't think a lot of other classic board games have been compared. Well, actually, it's tabletop game, but Benjamin, we recently saw the D&D movie. Sure. There's been a couple of times at D&D. I mean, there's like, uh, you know, there's like Pokemon Detective Pikachu. I don't know if a card game counts as an adaptation. I mean, specifically board game. I think yeah. there's not too many. It was like so, Ouija, you know, like as a horror movie. We- <laughs> Like, you think about those, like, few we could name. Like, I think that's something that's really important about Clue. Like, it is so good based on just a board game concept that just stands completely aside, yet they still, like, keep the whole spirit of the board game as a core part of the plot. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's really, it's a really unique, successful movie. (laughs) It's great. Yeah, I think that's a lot of the the pieces that I found. Is there anything else chemistry-wise we need to cover? Yes. Okay. Watching this movie again, I had some philosophical reflections I had not oh. encountered before the clue, and I need you guys to help me break this down. Okay. Number one, this movie is so freaking thirsty. My God. <laughs> I did not remember. The movie or the characters in the movie? The characters in the movie. Thank you. Like the, Professor Plum. The sexual tension is so tightly wound. Yeah. There's several unwanted, unrequested butt grabs going on. And 75% of it, I think, is all Professor Plum. I think he's like totally. the thirstiest of the lot. But like yeah, Colonel he's... Mustard is making glances. Of course, like Scarlet and Yvette are, are basically boobs attached to actresses running around the movies. <laughs> like how they shoot them so many times. <laughs> like it's just, I forgot like how horny this movie is. Uh, which is, well, it's really funny now that it's in there. But I just, as a kid, I just, all of that was over my head. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then there's that whole shower scene with Tim Curry where he. Oh, wait, wait no, hold he on a second. Never mind that. Another door. I mean, there technically was a shower scene. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess so. Another door. I always thought, who would want that creepy jack in the box that pops up in that bedroom when Mrs. White is in oh, there? My God. Oh, you know, yeah. This, uh, that thing is giant and scary. <laughs> I know somebody who would. Guest host Allison, Allison. Dixon. She'd be yeah. Allison, for sure. Yeah. She has a wall of clowns in her office. So, yeah, she would. Here's the thing, like, as they were sitting down to dinner, here's another thing that struck me. Like, have either of you ever attended a dinner party or a party where no one knew anybody? Ooh. Not no one. I have been to dinner parties that were more formal. Yeah. Where there was, like, assigned seats. Ooh. And, like, you had a very specific thing that you could bring. And, like, dinner happened in a particular order. And I knew the host and my friend and nobody else. Okay. So close. What was that like? Well, the person who was hosting it was very, very uptight oh, and dear. very, very formal. And that took a lot of the fun out mm. of the evening mm-hmm. because we were all there to have a good time. But it was like the you must pass stuff to the right or is it the left? I don't even remember. I'm so Sounds uncultured. like you were I'm causing like, problems to begin with. I'm basically Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman. I'm the, <laughs> the hooker who comes in and doesn't know the forks. But like whatever the order is. So basically, if I'm sitting here and you are sitting to the non-pass side, we would have to pass the mashed potatoes all the way around the table to come to you. Ridiculous. Even though I could hand them directly to you because that is the proper passing order. 
absurdity. Wow. So yeah, it wasn't super fun. I remember the food being good, but we were like, this dude's really uptight. And he, of course he was. So <laughs> that's the closest I've gotten. Aaron, anything? Have you ever had a, had a brush with this sort of thing? No, I've not. I've been to dinner parties where maybe my date was the only person I knew there, yeah. but it wasn't with this level of formality and certainly not this level of discomfort. But I could totally see myself, maybe not with the uh, diarrhea of the mouth that Mrs. Peacock has, but I'm definitely <laughs> the one that can be the social engager for everybody yeah. and try to get everybody involved. That's it's the bartender in me, I guess. Nice, but, good. Uh, I, I can I can fill the space and get the ball rolling without having everybody stare at me like I've lost my mind. Okay. It just, it just struck me as they were all sitting down to dinner. Like what a unique situation is that? I mean, I'm not expecting any of us to have gotten an invitation all to a mansion where someone's trying to blackmail us all. I'm not saying that, but just like, you know, usually any party you go to, at least your date, you'd know, or the person who invited you, you know, and you've got someone to kind of have your little side conversations with if you don't like anyone else. Like, Oh my God, can you believe what's going on? Like, look at that person. But like, just to show up, no one knows anybody. What are you going to talk about? And then how the movie rolls is like how much you trust each other to not screw each other over in this murder. Like, yeah. just what a unique social situation I think all of us are pretty far removed from. You know, Seattle has this restaurant, Ben, maybe you've heard of this, where basically like it's at a secret location Ooh. and it seats like six people. So you don't know who you're sitting with. It's complete strangers. And you're only given the location, like, whatever, you know, 24 hours in advance or whatever. That's cool. And you you show up and you go and you have this whole experience that you just sort of surrender yourself to the evening and what's going to happen. That, to me, is, like, the closest thing. But you'd probably go with, yeah, a date, a spouse, a friend, something like that. Right. I think that that type of thing is the basis for that movie that came out recently with called The Menu with oh, that was uh, awesome. Ray Fiennes. I'd, okay, I'd heard of and that. And Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah, okay. I think that's the kind of the the basis for oh, that. Oh, okay, interesting. People had strong reactions to it. I didn't know a lot about the movie, but that's interesting to know. It's based off that concept, huh? It's really interesting. I sent that on to every foodie that I knew that I was like, "It's time for you to watch this." <laughs> Especially all of our <laughs> Chicago friends who rave about Alinea in 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 Chicago. That's very hard to get into. Mm. You know, the other thing we talk about here sometimes with movies or TV, the last the last sort of like reflection is that that thing, the trope we talk about that if they had cell phones or the internet at the time, the movie would break. And so like all of Curry's final deductions that he's doing, most of us could get all that 85% of it with Facebook. Like, oh, you were here with this person, but also knew this person and like is working at this place. Yeah, we call that LinkedIn, bro. We know where everyone's working. Like, we got it. <laughs> it's great, but it, like, you know, it's, it's just sort of funny to reflect. And that whole scene also reminds me of the number, uh, what's it called? Uh, they both reached for the gun, or we both reached for the gun in Chicago. Like, it's so fast. Do you guys know Chicago? Have you seen the musical Chicago? I've seen the movie adaptation. Yeah. Okay, at least you got the movie adaptation. Anyway, it's a great number that recounts a whole murder scene and very fast paced, but the story keeps changing as she is butchering it on the witness stand. And so Uh, that lawyer's like, come on, fix it. So the whole curry thing at the end is reminds me of that too. But brilliant scene though, by the way. I mean, come on, I'm not discounting it. I mean, speaking of curry, he absolutely crushes the last third of this movie. It's incredible. His dialogue, like he has so much to do. And he really, I mean, again, ensemble cast, they all can carry their own, but he has to carry the last third of this movie pretty much solo. And he I mean, does. obviously they're there to support 
characters certainly have their moment, especially during their reveals. But him running around, and one of my favorite shots is when he runs to grab the knife. It's the close-up of his face where he basically like puts his head on the desk as he grabs the knife. It's just the most ridiculous thing he does in the way again he runs down the hall. Runs down the hall and stabs the cook. It's so freaking hilarious. Yeah, the physical comedy. We've talked a lot about the witty dialogue, but the physical comedy is so amazing. Like Green just keeps like getting terrified and like (laughs) splashing all over everybody and spilling stuff and he falls out the table like crushes beneath him and everything. It's just oh my God. Or when Wadsworth uses him as a dummy as he's illustrating how the murder was perpetuated on Mr. Body. (laughs) Well and I was watching a great reaction video on YouTube. It's actually somebody who is uh, an actor and she was watching it kind of from a filmmaker perspective. And she had made the observation of like the punchlines aren't always dialogue. Sometimes the punchline is physical comedy. Yeah, it's the right. slap. It's the fall or whatever. And I was like, yeah, you're right. The one that comes to mind is where they're reenacting and Wadsworth falls out of the freezer. Yes. Mr. Green catches him and this just so drops him unceremoniously him. on the right. floor. Right. Like, we're not doing this again. And then he's kind of unperturbed. He's like, obviously she was already dead. Like he just goes yeah. back right. into his narration. Right. Like he's not bothered by the fact that he's just got slammed to the floor. That's <laughs> great. Uh, those are fantastic observations, Ben. Great questions. Is there anything, did we get through them all? Anything else? Has your thirst been quenched by our uh, responses I'm, I'm to your not questions? I'm sure the thirst of Clue will ever be quenched, <laughs> but I think, I think I'm good. Not all the Gatorade in the lunchroom will quench that thirst. <laughs> right. Well, guys, you know, it, I think we've arrived. It is time for lunch. And what do we hope is not on the menu? Monkey's brains. <laughs> Yeah, right. Or shark fin soup. Or shark fin soup. I just hope the lunch lady can pour my milk smoother than Colonel Mustard can pour three scotches. Oh my Most gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> He's an animal. Come on, man. Don't waste good scotch. Well, you know, if we're going to have omelets, you, you got to break a few eggs. Any cook will tell you that. <laughs> true. But it's look true. what happened to the cook. <laughs> Might I interest either of you in fruit or dessert? <laughs> Well, hopefully lunch is not just a red herring and we'll uh, enjoy a little something and be back in contemporary culture to talk about what comes next for Clue the Movie. There's been a murder! Are we dead It's a classic game of Clue. Who done it, where they done it, and with which weapon they uh, done it with. I say it was in the kitchen with the ranch by Miss Carlos. He's dead in the library with a bloody lead pipe. Nice, nice. Oh, right. The killer is Mr. Green. Well, it could have been someone else. The game of Clue. And now there's Clue Mystery Puzzles. Solve puzzling crimes piece by piece. Well, thank you guys for helping me stuff the body of the lunch lady into the freezer that we found. None of us can leave this episode of A's High until we figure out who the murderer is. And we also just like drop the singing telegram uh, singer to the door. Just like. (laughs) Just drop it. (laughs) Unceremoniously on the floor. My God. They very quickly don't care about the bodies anymore. Two horses. Everything's fine. (laughs) Everything's fine. (laughs) Just checking. Wants a dagger go further into her back? 
And I also love that Mustard's just telling the ladies what to do. And he's like, move her, tip her over that way. He's just sitting there directing, <laughs> not, not doing anything. <laughs> that guy's such a goober. He's such a goon. I love and then him. Plum gets stuck between body and the cook. Oh, my gosh. Doesn't know where to rest his arms. It's uh, amazing. Okay. Well, um, that's for chemistry, everybody. And we have left for contemporary culture. So what happens after this movie? And it's, again, not stellar release. Doesn't do yeah. great at the box office. Kind of wrecks Jonathan Lynn's career for a while. Bummer. Because of the chilly critic review, the box office failure of the movie, he doesn't find work for a long time, at least not in directing. He was actually set to direct Steve Martin's Roxanne. Uh, oh. Have you, have you seen that one? It's the adaptation of it's the Cyrano de Bergerac. Bergerac. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Daryl Hannah. It's actually a pretty, it's a good movie. I think it's pretty fun. So he was pulled from directing that movie about 10 days after Clue is out and gets wow, that bad reception. Just from it. Oof. So basically they, they cut him and it goes to another director, which is awful. Several years go by, but he does get a great reversal of fortune. Uh, I did not know this. Uh, in 1992, he directs My Cousin Vinny. Oh, no way. Okay. That's a great, that's a great comedy. Utes. The two youths. The two what? Uh, Joe Pesci, Marissa Tomei, Ralph Macchio. Such a great movie. I'm glad that he finally not only had a comeback, but an amazing comeback. My Cousin Vinny. Love that movie. Yeah, so good. And this movie, as I mentioned, has late blossoming success. Again, it's showing up on basic and pay cable channels. It's filling those non-peak hours. Word of mouth kind of spreads. This reminds me a lot of Office Space. That was another movie that just kind of plopped at the box office but is that cult following big lebowski's another movie mm-hmm. didn't really find that good theatrical release but you know there's lebowski fests now where people get together and celebrate the movie and and clue has some of that too there's like screenings at different theaters where they do all sorts of cool stuff featuring clue so throughout the 90s it's it's kind of regaining or gaining more of that popularity particularly amongst like younger people in fact, all the cast members pretty much have a story of like people coming up to them and telling them how much they love Clue. Oh, that's even cool. though they may be known for a lot of other movies, even Christopher Lloyd's like, yeah, you know, I'll get comments about Back to the Future, but he's like, people come up to me a lot and talk about how much they love Clue, and it's one of their favorite movies. And Michael McKean had this great story. He said, I was at Elaine's, which is this, I guess it's a restaurant, but it's like a legendary hangout in New York where a lot of like stars go. He's with Ricky Gervais and his wife, and James Lipton comes over to the table. Uh, again, inside the actor's studio. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. And James recognizes Ricky, has no idea who Michael McKean is. And so James introduces them to his wife, and she's younger, and she's this very attractive woman. He says very proudly, my wife is the model for Miss Scarlet in the Clue game. And he takes out his wallet and shows them a picture of the edition of Clue that had the photographs, and it was her. Oh, that's awesome. And McKean is like, I was Mr. Greed in the movie. Like, <laughs> what, a, <laughs> what a crazy story. Like, that's a cool. Weird that's a great confluence. Like <laughs> and her name was Katakai. Is it really? Katakai? Yes. Oh, okay. Conan O'Brien has a funny story on that. So wait, is, is she the is she the um, the model for the cards that you guys are talking about, like the earlier yes. edition? Wow. Yes. Yes. How about that? There's a funny Conan O'Brien podcast story where James Lipton shows him a painting of her nude, 
and he goes, Katakai, <laughs> as God made her. Oh my <laughs> God. O'Brien. And so people stop Conan O'Brien all the time on the street now going, Katakai, like screaming it out to him across the street. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I also love that, like, the thing that people shout at Conan O'Brien is nothing that he personally did. It's right. something that was said to him. <laughs> well, to be fair, on the podcast, he did say he encouraged people to greet him this way. So okay. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. Oh, okay. fair I didn't enough. get that fair in the enough. telling. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. does feel very Conan O'Brien. I love it. Yes, so. for sure. <laughs> Amazing. So again, it has that big following. It's been actually adapted into stage plays and musicals, which I think makes perfect sense. I could totally see this playing out in a theater, even high school theater. So apparently John Landis said that an eighth grade class reached out to him. They wanted to do a stage performance of the movie. And he said- Oh, that's awesome. He thought it was great. And he said, I advise them of two things. Don't ask Paramount for permission and just don't charge any money for it. Oh, yeah. And he apparently ends up receiving a VHS uh, copy of the performance and said it was uh, very endearing. So, again, it has all the setting right there. You know, you got your stage. It's, you know, it's an ensemble cast. It's not a lot of settings. And, like, I could totally see this being a great – I don't know if I'd want to see a musical. I'm not a big fan of musicals. But – Stage play, I'd totally see. To the surprise of no one, uh, years ago, a high school did a musical version of Jurassic Park. They nail (laughs) it. It is so good, but it's probably very similar. Like, don't ask for permission. Don't charge. It's it's in someone's, like, backyard. They do it at a house, but it's, like, the whole high school theater department. Oh, that's beautiful. And they crush it with (laughs) props and sets and everything. Yeah. I love it. Go high school kids. Keep redoing these classics. We'll come come give you our money and our time. Little Shop is another good one. I know they oh, didn't yeah. start off as a movie, but Little Shop is such a, a great yeah, uh, stage performance. Oh, man. This is kind of interesting, not based off the movie, but there was actually a miniseries in 2011 and 2012 called Clue. It was here in the U.S. It was a five-part mystery TV miniseries, and it aired on The Hub. I had never heard of this channel. Have either of you heard of The Hub? No. No. Yeah. So it's Warner Brothers Discovery and Hasbro Entertainment, like a little joint between them. And it features a youthful ensemble cast working together to uncover clues and unravel a mystery. I'd never heard of this, but yeah, it's somewhat of an adaptation. You know, six very different young sleuths are nicknamed after the characters in the game. And the plot seems a little bit different, but, it, you know, it has, again, kind of hidden treasures and cryptic secrets in the, you know, dark society that's unearthed and all this kind of stuff. I tried watching it for this episode. Oh, you did? I lo- okay. I love that you said Warner Brothers put this out. Well, okay. I, you know, I did the old classic scrub-a-dub-dub trying to get through an episode. <laughs> um, sure. And watching it, I was like, this just smells of the WB in the late oh. 90s, early 2000s. Like, it's like every... <laughs> teen yes. mystery show they tried to crank out yeah and Small i just yeah. yeah i mean maybe yeah, if yeah, i was yeah. like 14 when it came out and was watching it i think it'd be awesome but man i do not like watching it it was not a good a rough time. scrub <laughs> even it was just a, a rough, rough scrub, scrub let alone a rough watch right so. it was it was a fresh loofah of a scrub just not even worn yeah. out or soft <laughs> yet just scraping skin away now, I realize I just jumped ahead. Ben, I asked you to do a thing, and I don't know if you had a chance to do the thing. I did not do the thing, but I watched the thing. Okay. No, that's fine. It's bit. completely fine. Because we learned that there is a Super Nintendo version of Clue, and I guess it's the board game, but it's on Super Nintendo. Aaron, did you ever know this 
was a Super no, Nintendo game? I had no idea, but yeah. I mean, what did they have to do to make that interesting? I don't so. know. It is straight up exactly the board game. Like, there's an animated hand that comes out over the board, rolls some dice, you get to say where okay. you want to go, and then, like, a, a screen pops up with the headshots, and you can choose, like, you make your claim, this person with this weapon, and there's a short little cutscene that gives you the evidence that it wasn't your person. Like, okay. Or it wasn't the knife or the weapon or whatever you chose, but it's just that it is the board game on Super Nintendo, and that is as schmancy as they get. So maybe it's better than the Where's Waldo Nintendo it is game. Better than the Where's about. Waldo game. <laughs> that is a low bar. <laughs> Holy cow! If you're playing multiplayer Clue though, and you make an accusation, you, everybody turn their heads. And <laughs> yeah. Don't watch. Yeah. Don't watch <laughs> down, everybody. <laughs> Don't look at the screen. Oh wow. Very interesting. So uh, what else do we have? In 2013, Psych. Did either of you watch the television show Psych? I did not. I, I know what it was and I know what you where you're going with, but I, I did not see that episode. My okay. sister-in-law is obsessed with Psych. So I am I'm familiar via the transitive property. Okay. Okay. Aaron, do you want to talk about this one particular episode? Yeah, there was uh, one episode called 100 Clues, and it had Martin Mull, Christopher Lloyd, and Leslie Ann Warren all come back for kind of a little mini reunion. I believe Madeline Kahn had already passed away at that point, too, so she couldn't have been in it either, but uh, um, it was kind of a little mini reunion on the show. Oh, nice. Yeah, and they pay a lot of homage to the movie. They had multiple endings, uh, depending on which audience you were. So they had an East Coast and a West Coast ending. Oh, sorry, the audience decided who the killer was. They let the audience decide. Oh, that's cool. I actually missed that uh, detail here. And I did watch a little bit of it. I found like a clip on YouTube. And it's pretty funny. Like the one of the cast members, I've never watched Psych. Uh, but I'm assuming it's one of the detective guys. He's doing the Tim Curry parts where he's running around and doing the like exaggerated stuff. He's so explaining good. I love it. I what's love going it. on and everyone's just kind of watching and he's going from room to room. It's it's a pretty like fun adaptation. So the showrunner, Steve Frank, said that he loved this idea. He really wanted to do it on psych, but he was like, is this going to be like a reference like 10 people get? Like, is it just going to go over most viewers' heads? So they were at San Diego Comic-Con And on this panel, and he said, like, he floated the idea to this room of, like, 4,600 plus people. Okay, maybe, like, 10 people will kind of clap or whatever. He said the entire room erupted with excitement. So he was like, okay, I guess we're doing it because clearly everyone loves and knows this movie and uh, was on board. So uh, we we have uh, that audience to thank for giving him that final push to, uh, to do that episode. I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. This is like an interesting little tidbit. So in 2019, Ryan Johnson, uh, director of Knives Out, apparently in his editing room had a film poster of Clue. Have you guys seen Knives Out? I could see that. Love that movie. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of DNA in Knives Out from this, for sure. We'll talk about a remake here in a minute. But I think it's definitely a great example of like, if you do this kind of movie well, there's still an appetite for this like murder mystery in a mansion. You know, obviously Clue's going to have a lot of weight of its predecessor, which Knives Out did not have. But, you know, great ensemble cast, a lot of fun, just a wonderful movie. So I thought it was kind of funny that Ryan Johnson had that little Clue reminder on his wall as he's putting this movie together. Yeah, that's a good shout out. Uh, Just a couple other things. Actually, last year in 2022, Who Done It? The Clue documentary came out. 
It covers the making of the movie, the rise of its cult status, and interviews uh, lots of people. I know they talked to Lynn for sure, but I don't think they were able to talk to many of the cast members. Hmm. And I think most of them are still alive. Yeah. Madeline Kahn has passed, and I believe Eileen Brennan, and I think that's it. So I think they got some interviews with like some key people. I tried to find this, but you can only buy it on oh. Amazon right now. Mm. But I think it's still mm. being kind of shown in different theaters and cities. So maybe eventually it'll be out to rent. But I think they're still kind of taking it on tour a little bit to do some like live screenings and probably, you know, Q&A with the creators and whatnot. Also, there is Clue the Movie podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, so the host, Brad Gilmore, and the director of this documentary, Jeff Smith, they watch Clue the movie one minute at a time and then talk about that minute for 20 minutes. (laughs) Mm. Basically, (laughs) if you want a minute-by-minute breakdown of this entire movie, they cover it in Clue the movie podcast. That's awesome, actually. I, that's, that would be kind of interesting. What are they, that's um, pretty granular. One minute. That's a that's a bit granular. What's that one? Real Friends, Fake Doctors, or Fake Doctors, Real Friends, The Scrubs Guys? Oh, yeah, from The Scrubs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where they rewatch every episode and then do an episode about the podcast. About that's the like a episode. whole episode, though. There's also Office Ladies. It's uh, oh, Jenna right, Fisher right, 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 and right. Uh, Angela. Um, There's a Parks and Recollection one like that, too, for Parks and Rec. I think it's fun. I like. I love podcasts about shows or movies I really enjoy. Getting that inside scoop, like Always Sunny, I, I love oh, that That would be stuff. fun. That would be a good listen. I would enjoy that. Okay. Well, we, we've teased it enough. Will they, won't they? Is there going to be a remake of Clue? Oh, yeah. What's going on? What's <laughs> the story? What's the download? Well, long story short, TBD. So basically, ever since about 2011, it's been in the works. There's been people who've come and gone. Gore Verbinski, uh, who did The Ring and the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, oh, uh, at one okay. point was set to produce and direct. Jason Bateman had been attached to the project. Jason Bateman comes on later, as does uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, again, different script writers. There's different attempts throughout. Um, We don't have to hit a lot of these. 2020, James Bobin, who did the Ali G show and Flight of the Concords, was in talks to direct. And the latest that I could find, August of last year, 2022, Oren Uziel was hired to rewrite the script. And Oren has done 22 Jump Street, which is a remake of 21 Jump Street, which I think is a television show, right? Yeah, it was a Johnny Depp show in the 80s. Okay, I never watched the show, nor did I watch the movie. Is 22 Jump Street a sequel? Didn't they do a 21 Jump Street It's a sequel to 21 Jump Street. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Jonah Hill and... uh... Is it Channing Tatum? Yes. Well, speaking of Channing, he's also in the other movie that recently came out that Oren was attached to, The Lost City which was oh, him and Sandra right. Bullock. That was kind of fun. Kind of like a homage to Romancing the Stone. Speaking of Jewel of the Nile earlier, it's a little oh, bit like yeah, that movie. Sure. It's not a adaptation, but it, it has a lot of the DNA of that movie. So like he's used to taking properties and kind of reworking them. So who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll get something out of Clue. I'm like every remake, reboot, re-whatever. Very cautious, of course. You know, these, these do have a tendency to not work out well, but... I'm not against it if they get the right people. Again, Michael McKean said it. You can uh, have a great script or a bad script from uh, any idea. So reboots, certainly possible. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Maybe we'll get more information this year. Yeah, my eyebrows are raised with so much skepticism that they're blending into my hairline. I I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think it's hard because you, you, you love Clue because of like that cast, the pace, the witty puns. 
And so to have a clue come back, I think you could do a great murder mystery movie that could be funny. But to like come out and say it's clue and some high expectations to try and repeat the magic that made the first one so perfect and unique. And I I just don't know. Ugh, I don't I don't I don't How feel, do you improve I, I don't upon feel good. That? Yeah, yeah. I, don't feel, I don't feel good about it. It's like if someone was like, hey, they're going to redo the Thriller music video. And you're like, I don't want that redone. The, it was fine the first time. Leave it alone. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And, and Aaron, you make a good point. It's like, well, what are you improving upon? Like, how's it even going to be not even better, but just as good? Like, yeah. how, do you, yeah. how do you make something that is entertaining or, or maybe good in a different way? Maybe someone can crack the code. Uh, maybe Oren has the chops to do it. I guess we'll find out, right? It's just the cook story. It's a prequel that just tells the story of the cook and how she got to the mansion. <laughs> well, hey, it could be like the new Mogwai movie. Maybe how they'll she just prepared do the monkey a, brains. Like, <laughs> they'll do a Wadsworth origin story uh, where he and the cook and the go on a bunch of adventures. Where he goes to bottle end up at you the to learn how to bottle. <laughs> he learns to bottle. <laughs> he learns how to keep things tidy. Tidy. <laughs> so good. Uh, all right. Well. We've had five segments so far. Yes, five, just five. We've already had homeroom, two classes, plus lunch, and now we're here. So that's one plus two plus one plus one. <laughs> Are you sure? I think that might be one plus two plus one plus one. Oh, boy, Even if you're right now, it's wrong to be one plus one plus two plus one, and one plus two plus one plus one. <laughs> anyway, all, right. all I know is there's one more bullet left in this gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Frankly, Mr. Aaron, I don't give a damn. <laughs> All right. Let's go to math class for our final verdict on Clue the Movie. All right, gentlemen. I say we handle this class in proper military fashion. We split <laughs> up and each share whether we think this movie holds up today. Aaron, this is podcasting. Casualties are inevitable. Uh, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Any good cook will tell you that. But look what happened to the cook! <laughs> okay, Aaron, we are going to leave you with the final say on this movie. So, Benjamin, I say we kick off with you. Tell us how terrible this thirst trap, <laughs> sex-filled oh adolescent God. romp is. <laughs> Just lewd, <laughs> lascivious behavior. Well, now I have Filth. nothing left to say. That was, that's all I had. That was everything. Uh, wait, if I'm going first, does that make me Miss Scarlet? Is that who goes first in the game? Yes. Yeah, Miss Scarlet of, of math class. Katakai. Has <laughs> God made her? <laughs> Brilliant. Here's the thing that is so hard to remember while you're watching this movie, is it's based on a board game. Like... <laughs> We as kids, we heard that like a movie was coming out based on a video game or a board game, and you were so excited for that movie. When it came out, you were like, oh my god, that was awful. Or like, they have no idea what the game was all about. Wait, this is Street Fighter the movie? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, video games, obviously, much more than board games. There have been so many movies, yeah. but nine out of ten times, the movie's so terrible based on the video game, unless you love it in a campy, like, ironic way. That you're like, sure. oh, Mortal Kombat's actually really, really, really fun. Like, technically, <laughs> it's an awful movie, but it's really fun to watch. This movie, it exists without the board game. It's so good on its mm. own, and it's nuts that, like, a board game inspired this absolutely fantastic comedy from the 80s that is, like, so iconic, like I said earlier, of, like, the naked gun, airplane, this sort of, like, fast-paced, witty, go, 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 a joke every five seconds. 
like you said, the ensemble cast, every single person, besides I'd say like Mr. Body, crushes their role. Like they are chewing scenery left and right. They're on it. They're nailing the tone. It's so funny. And like there were almost no jokes that didn't hold up. Like I thought everything Mm. was still as hilarious as it was before. As you guys said, I mean, I think in the course of this episode, we have quoted the entire movie from top to bottom. (laughs) Uh, It is so quotable. They stand the test of the time. You know, usually, and this, this is sort of something I noticed. Usually in math class, this is where we can point out something doesn't hold up. Like, ah, they did this and "Mm, that feels a little weird. You can't say that. But here's something that caught me in this watch. You know, Mr. Green, when he's telling his sort of like fake story of who he is, introducing everyone, he mentions that he would have to keep secret that he was a homosexual because he would lose his security clearance. Hey, there's some progress. Throwing out that you're not a normal cis person doesn't mean you're going to lose your security clearance somewhere. Like, so, hey, here's a math class where something actually got a little better and it's okay than what was going on back then. So, I, I mean, I. I like that throughout. God, his performance is so good from the top to the bottom. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'm, I'm ranting and raving very fast. In summary, TLDR. I love Clue. This movie is wonderful. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, if it's been a long time, get back in there. Cause some mayhem and make some accusations. It's a great film. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think we all know uh, what's coming from me as well. I absolutely adore this movie. I think for all the reasons we have talked about. And all those reasons are why it's on my top 10 list of all-time favorite movies. Again, that hilarious ensemble cast, the snappy dialogue, the slapstick physical comedy, the impeccable comedic timing. Yeah. But what was fun with this is like on taking a deeper look, I think the sensibilities that went into the movie and its creation is really what does help it stand out as a classic. And I think because of that, it's this interesting mix where it's both a period piece of fiction But it also doesn't feel dated. Yeah. Somehow it achieves both. And I think it's because it's comedy and the craft behind it are really timeless. So the subject matter doesn't need to be timeless because the way it was created and delivered to us has that timeless feel to it. I will say it's by no means a perfect movie, right? Personally, I don't think the recurring dog crap joke is all that funny. Like, I never oh, found the, yeah, the sniffing the and the door. lifting the yeah. foot. Like, I never found that, like, super funny. I think Mr. Body could have been a more interesting character if it was cast as Lynn had intended it. I, yeah. We don't know what kind of character he wanted. But, again, that was a bit of a compromised choice. And I, I think it shows a little bit. You know, there's one joke. Again, I don't think it's like maliciously meant where, you know, he's like, uh, Mr. Green, speaking of, you know, being homosexual, says, I'm a plant. Don't they call people like you fruits? Oh, fruits, right. You know, yeah, there's yeah, a, yeah, there's yeah, a little yeah, bit of yeah. that where you're like, eh, they may not say that today, or maybe they would. I don't know. Maybe you could find a way. Again, it wasn't super offensive, but that may not make its way into a movie today. So, yeah, I mean, it's got a feel of those pieces to it. And I will also say, trying to follow the logic of everything that's going on in this movie. I think is more confusing than for me to try to logic out the game itself. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I, I, I personally don't think you can make much sense of the plot. Uh, but thankfully, the movie doesn't really ask you to. That's kind yeah. of the the best part of it. You're there for the madcap, quick-witted movie. I think it rarely stumbles in its pace. It knows also how to use silence and people's reactions to like telegraph emotion and tone like super well. And of course, it doesn't cease to surprise with its hilarious punchlines, pratfalls, and callbacks. 
So to this movie, I say, good shot, Jonathan Lynn. A very. I like it. Nice finisher. That was good. Our guest host, how much do you despise this movie? Aaron, what, what you got for us? I think that this movie holds up really well. I know it has its detracting moments, as, as you kind of outlined to a degree. But at the same time, I do think that that can be mitigated by the fact that for the time period, it wasn't socially acceptable, even if that was incorrect at the time. Sure. But So it does have some historical accuracy in that. But I think this holds up really well, at least by today's standards, because of the remake culture that's going on right now. This feels so fresh to me. I rewatched it this week and I was laughing out loud to all the jokes that I knew were coming and some of them that little things, you you pick up on a little nuance, like a little look or somebody differently staring at Yvette in a different way, you know, Mrs. Peacock being just astounded by <laughs> her figure, you know, just the, the, the great, Physical comedy, that, as you mentioned, Chris, this, the silences can be hilarious as well. But they just don't make great movies like this in this form at this point in time. They don't uh, have the, the physical slapstick comedy with just the madcap nature of it yeah. and it be original. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they made something original based on a board game. And now everything is... Let's just redo what's already been done and throw some different people in there and change a few little points and just throw it out there as new again and see what else we can have and what else we can make money off of that we can recycle. So it felt very fresh in the rewatch to me. And of course, above all, just the quotability of this film. There's just so many great one-liners in this film that you can just apply to so many things. And this is very telling. Uh, My wife and I watched this uh, earlier this week, and it was the first time she had seen the film. And she two or three times said, Oh, that's where that came from. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, good. They heard, good. She's heard me say it. Like, oh, that's where that came from. So that, that uh, kind of indicates how much it's kind of permeated my brain right. and my speech pattern for that matter. So I love it. I think this holds up. The only part that's ever bothered me about this whole film, and I think I've mentioned this to you before, Chris, but... When the first murder attempt happens, when the gun goes off, when he turns out the light, it's pitch black in there, but there is a roaring fire in that room the entire movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the What's only thing that nobody, It always bugs me. It's like, why can't they see? Yeah. <laughs> and then in that final scene, the break leads back to that. They say Professor Plum was actually the one that took a shot at him, but the bullet holes on the other side of the room and then oh. Mr. Bodies by the door flipping off the switch. So he's either the worst shot ever or got turned around. I don't know. But that just that scene when that happens just it drives me nuts. But aside from that, absolutely just love this film and watch it over and over and over again. So I've seen it with Chris probably two or three times alone. Nice. And I've probably Good. seen it 20 times in the course of my life at this point. So Definitely love it. Definitely recommend it to anybody that anytime it comes up. This movie so rewards repeat viewing. Yeah. So I love that you Absolutely. mentioned that because you always pick up on, like you said, some new little nuance you missed before. 
Yeah. I also told my wife afterwards, next time you watch this now, that you've seen these endings, mm. you're going to start looking. Yeah. Who's yeah, missing right. from this scene yeah, right. at this point? Yeah. Uh, so you got that rewatchability aspect of it as well. Absolutely. Oh, man. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me for this. What a great revisit. Again, this is one I've had in the hopper for so long, and I'm glad we were able to get to it. And Aaron, thank you so much for joining us once again for uh, another fun discussion. Always great to have you uh, on the podcast. Yeah, Aaron, thank you for coming. And this was a great pick. Great, great scene again, having your insights, the memories, impressive quotation memory. Uh, no, that was awesome. That was great having you. Absolutely. Thank you for so much for having me back. And again, your contract stipulates you'll come back to season four. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll get <laughs> that lined up for something. So, uh, yeah, Princess Bride. Inconceivable! <laughs> yeah, it's good. <laughs> uh, there's one more mystery to solve. Oh, yes. You know, before we can unlock this mansion, stack the microphones in the cellar one by one and leave quietly, we need to find out what will be the topic of the next episode of 80s High. Benjamin, I believe you have the key in your pocket. What say you uh, You unlock this mystery for us and for our listeners? I'm honored. I do have the honor. Thank you. I, You know, I only have two picks left of junior year. Yeah. And I recall the junior year of my real high school was like the hardest year I ever had. So I've got to continue to challenge myself. And I'm going to do that by doing something I do once in a while, which is I'm picking a topic I know almost nothing about. But I know mm-hmm. it was huge in the 80s. Okay. You know, the show does not exist without our listeners. We can talk into the ether, but if there's no one to listen and appreciate the show, then what are we even doing here, man? Like, why are we even here? So I want to do a first where I want to honor a topic request from a listener whom we don't know. We got an, an honest to goodness, like someone we don't know was like, I love your show. Will you ever do this topic? And you know what? For you, dear listener... We're going to do it right now. Boom. Okay. So for the next episode of 80s High, we're going to get all oiled up. We're going to get swole. And we are headed on down to Castle Grayskull because we're going to oh. do He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. I have the power. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was very good. You look oh. just like Prince Adam. I don't know who Prince Adam is, but I think you looked like him right there. I mean... I am an oiled beefcake if you've never seen me in person. So that is quite accurate. Uh, oh my God. This is amazing. Aaron, are you coming back for next episode? <laughs> I would totally do that because I still have all my He-Man figures sitting no down way. in the basement right Whoa. now. That was This was, after Star Wars, my big toy craze. I had yeah. probably 60 or 70 of those different no action figures. Way. Yeah, yeah, Aaron, absolutely. we're going to have to send you some questions if you don't mind, like, doing yeah, some responses so that we can, no, like... absolutely, absolutely. And maybe this was, photos? I was seven years old when these came out. Yeah, I can send you photos. That would be amazing. Yeah, Ben, are we doing, like, the toys, the cartoon, like, all the things? Like, we're talking about the franchise, right? Not just, I'm like... I'm going to try and attack it like we did Ninja Turtles and try and cover as much as we can in a reasonable amount of time. Okay, all right. So listeners, tune in as Chris and I go on spring break and Aaron takes the mic to teach you all. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do our homework and we'll be ready, but we can't wait to join you and the other Masters of the Universe on the next episode of 80s High. (laughs) 
Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help spread the rumor. Stay radical.